Hello, friends, and welcome once again to the Foundry Church Podcast. My name is Joseph. I'm the worship pastor here at the Foundry Church in Winter Springs, Florida. This is week four, the finale of our current series called How It All Works. We've been taking a look, sort of using nature and creation as an example. Romans 1 says that from the very beginning of creation, all that really could be known about God has been expressed in creation. Uh, and so we've been taking a look at um, some things that we can that we can learn and understand uh, about creation and how it all works by looking at creation itself. Two of the primary things have been that um, the, the emphasis on on efficacy and efficiency and all that stuff that we have in our modern lives. Right, we want things as good as possible, as quickly as possible. That doesn't really happen in nature. Uh, what we instead see is rivers that over uh, thousands and hundreds of thousands of years wind their way slowly, meandering uh, from where they begin to where they end. Uh, we see, um, we've used the image of oak trees a lot. Oak trees drop uh, tens of thousands, sometimes even millions of acorns, and very, very few of those ever become uh, a big, beautiful oak tree. Uh, what we see is that it's more about the process. It's more about living into who and what we are created to be uh, and less about the results that come from that. In this final sermon uh, in the series, our lead pastor, Seth, uh, talks about uh, reframing failure and how uh, so often many of the things that we view as failures uh, in reality are are maybe better understood as uh, learning experiences, moments of uh, learning something about ourselves or about the world or about the people that we're interacting with. So we hope that you enjoy this message from our lead pastor, Seth Kane. This is the final week of uh, How It All Works, Reframing Failure. Good morning. I am so very glad you're here, whether you're joining us in person or online. My name is Seth, and this is The Foundry, where we're all about a better you and a better world. Today, we wrap up our series called How It All Works. We've talked about like how creation works, and we've talked about how creation is revealing to us like who God is and what God is like. And then last week, we talked about like how fear works and how if we understand to handle how to handle it properly, it actually could be understood as like a gift other than, rather than something that we have to be like super scared of. So this week we're going to move on and we're going to talk about this idea of like how do we reframe the idea of failure, okay? So, so we've been using the life of Moses as, as our example throughout the series and we're going to stick with him today as well as we talk about failure. The truth is failure is found all throughout the Bible. It's found all throughout the scriptures. Like honestly... I'm surprised that more people don't read the Bible just to feel better about themselves. Like, there's story after story after story of somebody that screwed up, messed things up, dropped the ball, like made a mess of things, and yet God still uses them for something good. Like, if you ever want to feel better about yourself, pick any of the major players in the Bible, read their story, and be like, oh, yeah, I guess I'm not so bad. Like, and if God can use them, by the way, like... Maybe, maybe he could use me too. Um, so we're going to stick with Moses today. So we're going to start in Numbers chapter 20. 
and a fairly well-known story, but we're going to kind of break this down, and there's some interesting things that I think we can learn about failure through this. So this is Moses, Numbers chapter 20, verse 1 through 12. In the first month, the whole Israelite community arrived at the desert of Zin, and they stayed at Kadesh. We we looked at Kadesh on a map in the first week, if, if you... Remember, I'm sure you remember it exactly. Um, There Miriam died and was buried. Now there was no water for the community, and the people gathered in opposition to Moses and Aaron. They quarreled with Moses and said, If only we had died when our brothers fell dead before the Lord. Why did you bring the Lord's community into this wilderness, that we and our livestock should die here? Why did you bring us up out of Egypt to this terrible place? It has no grain or figs grapevines or pomegranates, and there is no water to drink. Moses and Aaron went from the assembly to the entrance of the tent of meeting and fell face down, and the glory of the Lord appeared to them. The Lord said to Moses, take the staff, and you and your brother Aaron gather the assembly together. Speak to that rock before their eyes, and it will pour out its water. You will bring water out of the rock for the community so they and their livestock can drink. So Moses took the staff from the Lord's presence, just as he commanded him. He and Aaron gathered the assembly together in front of the rock, and Moses said to them, Listen, you rebels, must we bring you water out of this rock? Then Moses raised his arm and struck the rock twice with his staff. Water gushed out, and the community and their livestock drank. But the Lord said to Moses and Aaron, Because you did not trust me, Trust in me enough to honor me as holy in the sight of the Israelites. You will not bring this community into the land that I give them. Now, a few things about all this. The first is, I actually think we see a couple different forms of failure in this story. There is this, like, the actual failure, what we would call actual failure, in Moses striking the rock. There is this actual failure of Moses' disobedience to the commands of God. Yes, Moses failed God in this moment. And I think if we are all honest with ourselves, we know that like, we occasionally find ourselves in this position where we feel like we failed or we failed so, like God or we failed someone in our life. And when we find ourselves in that position of, of failing God or failing somebody, absolutely we want to take responsibility for this, right? We want to own up to that and deal with it, sure. But I also think there's like another form of failure that we see here, and that is Moses's perceived failure of himself as a leader, right? They get to the desert of of Zin. His sister Miriam dies. That has to be very difficult for him. And then when, where they end up, there's no water, there's no provision, and all the people are starting to like turn on him as a leader. So there's this sense from Moses's perspective, like he's dropped the ball. There's this perceived sense of failure that he should have been a better leader or that he should have taken better care of the people. So today, as we talk about this idea of failure, we're going to be talking about this like second form of failure. We're talking about this perceived failure based on our understanding of a particular event, okay? So I think there's levels to this. So the second thing is this. I feel like we should be a bit more empathetic towards Moses here. Like he went from being a shepherd taking care of a bunch of sheep, a handful of sheep in the desert, to leading two million people, to being the leader, to being the guy in charge of two million people. There's a pretty big difference between walking a few sheep through the desert and like leading two million people who are wandering through the desert that you have to provide for them. It'd be like taking the guy from the mailroom and then making him the CEO of a major corporation, major company, but like in the desert. And then 
having to provide and feed all of the families and all the people that, you, that you're employing. Like, this is, a big, this is a big thing to take on. There's a lot of weight to, to, to carry in this moment. So they get to this place, there's no provisions, there's no water, and then everyone's getting upset at you. Everyone's pointing out all the mistakes you've made. This is a terrible idea. Why'd you bring us out here? Right? Like, what, what were you thinking, Moses? Why are you pointing out everything you've done wrong? If, if I was Moses, I, I would be like, yeah, but do you guys remember how we were following that like cloud and that fire thing that was leading us? Like maybe, maybe take it up with God. <laughs> like maybe it was him. Or also, do you know like how I was the guy that God used to like set you free? Like maybe get off my back a little bit. <laughs> like you're welcome. How about that? How about thank you, Moses? Could I get some appreciation? Like maybe just a little bit. Yeah, like come on guys. So I, I think verse six paints a picture of how Moses is feeling about all this in the middle of all this. So verse six, Moses and Aaron went from the assembly to the entrance to the tent of meeting and fell face down, and the glory of the Lord appeared upon them. Uh, 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 glory of the Lord appeared to them. So the tent of meeting is like the tabernacle. It's the dwelling place of God. So they leave this mob of dissatisfied customers, all the people that are pointing out all the things that he did wrong, and I picture him just like collapsing on the floor. It says he just fell face down. He's spent. He's overwhelmed. He feels like a complete and utter failure. He just goes in and like collapses. Like, God, I need your help. Like, please, I don't know what to do. I feel bad for the guy. The pressure, the expectation, just feeling like you've let everybody down. Like, maybe, maybe we need to cut Moses a little bit of slack here. Like, he's trying. He's trying. The third thing I think we see here, and this is really important to note, is like what happens next. Right? He throws himself before the Lord, and God's like, okay, it's going to be okay, Moses. We got you. Like, here's what we're going to do. I'm going to use this moment, and it's going to be like a, like a teaching lesson. It's going to be like a lesson to show Israel who their God actually is. Here's what you're going to do. You're going to pick yourself up. You're going to go back out there. You're going to gather everybody together. You're going to speak to that rock, and that rock will make water come out, and it will provide for everybody. So Moses gets himself up. He gathers the dissatisfied customers, and then we see this. He and Aaron gathered the assembly together in front of the rock, and Moses said to them, listen, you rebels, must we bring you water out of this rock? Now, uh, in the Hebrew text, the word for rebel is the word marah, which is to be bitter or unpleasant, figuratively to rebel. So I think, this is just maybe my opinion, that when Moses throws in this little word marah, it's, it's like personal, do you know? It's not like, Okay, fine, you guys win. It's like, listen, you little jerks. Like, do you see the problems you've caused? Like, here, you're going to complain about it? Well, you're going to do this. So I think he makes it personal, and, 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 and he's making him feel bad about himself, and so he, like, takes it out in this way. So uh, he's, he himself has felt like a failure, and then rather than speaking to the rock like God had instructed him to do, he smacks the rock twice with his stick, right? It's almost like... It's his own perceived failure that ends up being the very thing that leads to his actual failure. So because he was beginning to think of himself as a failure, he got upset and frustrated with the whole situation, which led to his actual disobedience to God's commands. So again, today when we're dealing with this idea of reframing failure, uh, by failure we're talking about this idea of our perceived failure, right? And, and maybe by reframing that, it may help us to like, prevent some actual failures in the future, okay? So I want to give you a few ways to think about failure um, so that maybe we can learn to like leave 
some of that stuff behind. I, I, wanna, I, wa- I wanna give you ways to think about failure, to talk about failure, in order to not think and talk about failure. Okay, so the first thing is this. When it comes to what we think, how we think about failure, rather when we find ourselves in a situation where we feel like we failed, rather than like asking the question like, how do I deal with this failure? Maybe we start to reframe that thought process. Maybe, maybe the question is like, well, like, how else would I know? How else would I know? If you think about where you're at in your life and everything that you currently know, how did you come to that knowledge? Yeah, maybe you were taught some stuff along the way, but a lot of what you know comes from what you've gone through, the experiences you've had, the things that you've tried, the things that you have, in fact, failed at. How else would you know how to be you without you living your experience? Like, how, how else would you, would you understand that? Like, that's the, that's the only way. Like, how did you learn how to handle money? Well, you had to handle money. Maybe you had some instruction. Maybe somebody taught you something. Maybe you read some books. Maybe you learned some things along the way. That's all good. But until you actually handle money, how do you know how to handle money? And I think this is true of like everything. Like right now, even with our kids, like our kids, they get an allowance, okay? Not much, it's not much. And sometimes dad forgets and like, it's okay. We'll get to it later, I promise. Um, Sometimes I forget. But when I give them money, I always give them cash. I give them cash. And then they have to take that. They put 10% of whatever they made into savings. They put 10% of whatever they made uh, comes to the tithe here at the church. And then they can spend the rest how they see fit. Now, my daughter, she really wants us to get those, they have like kid debit cards, the green card things, whatever, and you can transfer money and you can make all these things on the phone, it's technology and whatever. It's cool, and I can see a lot of use for that in the future, right? Like, sure, we could do that, but for right now, I want my kids to like handle the money. For right now, I want them to hold the cash. I want them to see it. I want them to see them as they lay it out, as the dollar. I want them to feel what it's like to have an empty wallet, right? Like I want them to go through all this process. And, and even when I see them start to buy stuff that like is absolute garbage and I'm like, I really struggle with like, don't let them buy a thing. It's so stupid. I let them buy the thing because that's their money to spend. And this is how they learn. And what's cool is like, I've actually heard them come to the place of the other day, like I heard one of them say like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, I'm not going to waste my money on that. I'm like, oh, that's incredible. Oh, that's incredible because what that means is at some point they spent their money on something that they thought they wanted only to realize later that it wasn't any good. Like that, they're, they're, that they realized that their desire was fleeting and the candy didn't last as long as they thought it should. The thing that they bought wasn't work, worth it. And from that experience, they've now gained a little bit more wisdom and perspective as to how and what they want to do with their money, how they want, what they want to spend their money on. Like how else would they know? It's the learning process. This is true of money, it's relationships, it's business, it's personal goals, it's raising a family, right? I know some families don't do allowances. That's fine, that's okay. Every family operates a little bit differently. We've tried a bunch of different things uh, with our family, ways to incorporate our, our different thoughts and values, the things that are important that we wanna pass on to our kids. Some of them have worked, some of them haven't. How else do you know? Like there's no, there's not like a book here for this thing with your specific kids and your specific situations. Like, we wanted to raise our kids like, like to, to be like uh, body positive, like to not carry any shame about who they are, about who their bodies are, and like how their bodies work a certain way. And this body that you've been given is a gift, and there's certain functions that come along with this. It's natural processes, like all these things, right? Which was good until our kids like started just like. Uh, passing a lot of gas, 
Do you know? Like, yes, it's a natural body function, right? Like, we get it. Dad, it's natural. Yeah, it is a natural body function. But, like, could you refrain from that natural body function in a tight, closed space like the car? Could you refrain from that natural body function at the dinner table? Like, take that natural body function to your room, right? Like, so I don't know that what we've taught our kids has been a success or a failure, but like, how else would we know? You have to go through these things. Maybe you've given several years of, of your life to a particular job, to a particular relationship, and it used to be good, and now not so much, and you're like, oh, I wasted all those years on that thing or that person, and okay, but like, how else would you know? If you didn't have that lived experience, you wouldn't know that that's not where you want to continue to invest your time and resources and effort. The beauty of this way of thinking is that, like, nothing is wasted. Nothing is wasted. I mean, even with, even with Moses, he didn't just, like, wake up one day and was like, oh, yes, I know how to lead two million people. He's just a guy trying to do what God has called him to, trying to follow God, trying to lead this people on a wilderness hike for 40 years. How do you figure out how to do that other than by doing it? He's learning. He's growing. He's learning how to trust God. How else would he know how to do it? In fact, if you look at the next chapter in Numbers chapter 21, there's this really weird story. It's, it's a similar situation, but it's kind of a weird story. The people are grumbling against Moses and against God again. Uh, it's, a, it's, a, it's a bit too weird of a story to get into all right now. But what we see happen in that next weird story is that Moses doesn't take the complaints quite as personal, and then he does exactly what God tells him to do. It's like he's learning and he's growing. Nothing is wasted. You see, because as you go through some stuff, hopefully you're learning and growing and you're collecting this like, body of wisdom as you go through your life. That thing that you may have considered a failure actually helped you to teach you something important. And now as you move forward with your life, like, you can spot things easier. You can, you can sense things, like what way they're going. Like I, I've learned this lesson in a big way when it comes to like, discussions on Bible and theology. Like, I used to feel like every time I said something and somebody had a difference of opinion that I had to, like, really, like, defend myself and prove my point. I would take it very personally. But I've also learned that, like, there's a lot of people that aren't as interested in learning as they are in telling. And so a lot of times when people come to me with questions, it really isn't because they want to know. It's because they want to tell. And over the years, I've developed my spidey sense of, like, oh, I see where this is going. Well, hey, Seth, I have a question about this. And I'm like, yeah, yeah, dude. I love you. We're not going to go down that path because I know what you're trying. I can see it. I can smell it. I can see it. Like, now, if you're willing, if you, if you have an honest question, you, you're open to like dialogue, sure, we can have that discussion. But I've learned through all my experiences, like, okay, yeah, that's, that's not how I'm going to handle these things. We learn through our experiences. Nothing is wasted. So rather than asking the question of like, how do I deal with this failure, maybe we start to give ourselves this new lens in which we ask the question, well, how, how else would I know? Like, cut yourself a little bit of slack here. You're learning. And realize that anything can be a chance to grow, right? Maybe I'm not failing. Maybe I'm just growing. Yeah? Maybe you take that with you. Next time something happens, my wife yells at me, honey, I'm just growing. I'm just growing. Okay, the next thing is this. When it comes to leaving failure behind, like, Take all these stories that you tell yourself about yourself, all the stories about how you dropped the ball or you weren't good enough or about how you don't measure up or maybe you put yourself in the category next to the category of failure. Take all of those stories and like run them through the lens and understanding of learning. When you start to run your experiences through the lens of learning, it allows you to have 
like a bit of humility, maybe even a bit of, of openness. Maybe it's okay if I don't have all the answers all the time. And when you understand this, it helps to move you away from the feelings of shame and guilt because you feel like you failed. So when somebody brings up like a painful or embarrassing memory about a time that you felt like guilt and shame about a particular event that you feel like you failed, like you just kind of go like, yeah, 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 yeah. I, I, I just been out there learning. I just been out there learning. Right? That's, that's kind of how this whole thing goes. Like, I love this, and this has been super helpful to me. My life has been a learning experience. <laughs> Most of my life has been a learning experience. I, I didn't get taken on an internet dog scam. I was just learning how to navigate the internet. <laughs> I didn't fail at buying a field in Haiti. I just learned that like, maybe my skill sets are better focused than the art of communication. I wasn't a failure at being a dad when my daughter fell out of the stroller and I ran over her with the stroller. <laughs> I was learning about the importance of safety and buckles. <laughs> I wasn't a failure at being a good husband. I was learning that my wife didn't like to be compared to her mom during moments of tension. <laughs> When you view everything through the lens of learning, whether we're talking about big things, small things, whatever, everything's your teacher. Everything's your teacher, which means I can offer myself a bit of mercy, offer myself a bit of grace, offer myself a bit of forgiveness. I don't have to carry the shame that I used to fear, or used to carry, used to feel when my father-in-law would bring up for like the 80th time, how much was it that they took you for on the dog that didn't exist? Right? That's a, that's a deep wound that kept getting, like, picked open, like the scab, just, no, no, yeah, you know what, sir, I'm, I'm just I'm learning. I'm learning. I'm in the process of learning. Like, yeah, that's kind of what I'm doing. Also, I don't, I don't know if you've ever thought about this, but there's a really strange paradox built into our whole concept and our thought of failure. Here's what I mean. Think about what it means when you get those feelings of like shame or embarrassment over something that you would consider like, oh, I, I failed at this. Or like, man, I can't believe I did that. Or like, I'm, I'm embarrassed by the fact that I did do this. Or this didn't work out the way I thought it would. Like, if you notice, part of the reason that you have the shame and embarrassment about what did or didn't happen is because part of you actually had the confidence to believe you could do the thing that you were trying to do. Part of you believed that it would work out. So when you look at what we may consider to be these moments of failure and different things that we've attempted, like there's actually a strong sense of self hidden within that moment, within that feeling of failure, right? Here's, here's what I mean. Before, before I ran 100 miles, I, I failed to run 100 miles. Okay, I, I ran 40 miles. It was this big race. I was really excited about it. Um, and that's, I'm not trying to justify my failure here. I promise I'm not. But I was sick. I was sick going into the race. Okay, so I take off on this race. And, and my family was there to support me. It was a big deal. We knew this was going to be like a whole, they took like their whole weekend. We traveled to a different city. We rented hotels. Like we ate out. Like it was a big moment. My wife was there. My sisters were there. My brother was there. My brother, they were all, brother-in-laws were there, all there to support this race that I was doing. And I got 40 miles into it and I couldn't do it. I just couldn't do it. I was sick. I didn't feel good. I didn't, I didn't think I could carry on. I felt like a huge failure. I felt myself, I felt my family who was supporting me and took all this effort to love and show me love, and I just couldn't. Okay, but think about how ridiculous that is. Okay, first of all, he was confident to think he could run a mile, 100 miles to begin with. 
Like that's a crazy, that's a crazy thought to begin with. And then secondly, you thought you could do that while you were sick. Like who do you think you are anyways? Do you see what I'm saying? Like there was a weird confidence built in, hidden within that failure. Like within that low view of self at my failure, there actually contains a very high view of self. So, so rather than like carrying the shame over what I wasn't able to accomplish or like whatever, I want to work on letting all of that go. I, I want to look at all these things that I learned by going through that process because after that time that I failed, I did go like a year later and I actually accomplished my goal and I learned a lot. Like one, don't do something stupid and run while you're sick. Like two, maybe don't bring as many people, like keep it small. So... <laughs> There was a lot of things I learned on, this, on, the, on that experience. Maybe, maybe we could even come to the place of like learning to not label things as failures. Maybe we could just chalk it up to learning. We learn by doing. Maybe, that, maybe that's a motto we take with us. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I, I tend to learn by doing. That would be helpful, wouldn't it? Well, you failed. No, no, no. No. I, I'm, I'm learning by doing. Isn't this what we see in the story of Moses? If you look at 20 verse 21, he learned by doing. He failed the first time, but then he moved forward and he did the right thing the next time. Isn't this what we see in stories uh, all throughout the Bible about people who failed and yet God still uses them? Isn't this what we see in our own lives? Like we learn from our mistakes. So maybe like that should be a part of our language. Like I just, I'm learning, I learn by doing. And if we learn by doing, I mean, it doesn't mean I have to carry some sort of shame about the failure. Like Maybe, maybe we didn't fail. Maybe we just got to experience the blessing of learning. Yeah, isn't that a, doesn't that make you feel a little bit better? Like, yeah, like, okay, I got it. Okay, next thing, and this may help us here. Here's the, here's the question for me. What do we mean, what, 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 what do we mean by failure anyways? Like, what, what is that to begin with? Hmm. Well, uh, our good friends at Merriam and Webster would define failure like this. The omission or, of occurrence or performance, so the idea is a failing to perform a duty or expected action. Okay, we understand that. Two is a lack of success. Three, a falling short or deficiency. Or four is one that has failed. This is the actual definition of failure. So when we talk about failure, we're talking about something that didn't get done, a lack of success, a deficiency somewhere, or someone who embodies those things. <laughs> Poor person. Um, but here's my question with this, though. When I look at number two, a lack of success, what, what do we mean by success? Well, our good friend Miriam, she would say this about success. She would define it this way. Success is a degree or measure of succeeding. It's a favorable or desired outcome. Okay, so success is a measure of succeeding, favorable, desired outcome. Here's my question about this. Who determines or sets the measurements that we have? Who determines what the favorable or desired outcome is when it comes to like the various aspects of our lives? Who, who makes that decision? Well, maybe it's your job, it's your employee, right? Maybe it's, maybe it's the business owner that sets the measurement. Maybe when it comes to our families, it's our families have a particular idea about what success looks like. But for us personally, on the level of the individual, who determines that measurement? or that desired outcome. We do. It's a self-imposed system of measurement. So failure is a lack of success, but success is like this kind of arbitrary measurement that ultimately we determine. 
Well, then I guess the question is, what informs our system of measurement that we use to determine success? Well, typically it's things like family, religion, culture, whatever. We use these guidelines to determine how we view ourselves. So it's the perception of the, these outside forces that we use to determine our inner state of being, our inner sense of success or failure. And we live in a culture in which we value, highly value achievement. We value, we value more. We value bigger. We value accomplishing. We value looking a certain way. We value making a name for ourselves, more money, more power, all the things. So if my house isn't big enough or my job isn't good enough or if I don't live in a certain part of town or if... If my kids don't go to the right school or if I can't afford whatever, if I haven't produced enough or built a big enough business, then in the eyes of culture, we have not been successful. And a lack of success is the definition of failure. So through the lens of culture, we then view ourselves as well as a failure. So if I allow culture to determine my measurement system, then my sense of success is determined by how good or bad I measure up to their system, which then becomes how I measure myself which then affects my perspective of myself. Who's more, who's, more, who's more successful? The person who makes $30,000 a year or the person who makes $500,000 a year? Who's more successful? The doctor or the janitor? My guess is your brain jumped to a particular conclusion. Why? Well, because of the culture that has informed our measuring system which is then the same system that we use to judge ourselves. Let's take it a step further. Like, where does the Bible, the teachings of Jesus, fit into all of this? Because I don't know, I don't think that how we understand success culturally fits at all with what we might call, like, success in relation to the teaching of Jesus. I don't even think that success is a, is a word that fits, that, that works as we, like, it doesn't, it's not really a category to apply to the scriptures. But the Bible gives us an entirely different measuring system. The Bible says things like, die to the self. <laughs> the Bible says things like, love your enemy. The Bible says things like, take care of the widows and the orphans and the marginalized. Like, these ideas are contrary to our cultural system of success. But my guess is, I would be willing to wager, that not many of us have ever like, felt a lot of guilt and shame about feeling like we didn't die to the self enough. My guess is we haven't felt a lot of guilt and shame about not loving our enemies well enough. Right? Which is to say that even though, yes, we may believe in the Bible, we may be following the teachings of Jesus and believe that that is, in fact, a better way to live, we're still allowing our cultural systems to determine our measuring systems. And then we impose those systems upon the self that we use to judge the self and this is what we're trying to leave behind. <laughs> like, let's stop playing by their rules. Let's stop playing by their rules. The idea of failure that we experience, we've allowed to be determined by the measuring system outside of ourselves. But the reality is that measuring system is ultimately determined by us. We choose. We choose the system by which we will be judged according to success or failure. Which brings us back to week one. Romans chapter one, verse 20 says this. For since the creation of the world, God's invisible qualities, his eternal power and divine nature have been clearly seen, being understood from what has been made so that people are without excuse. 
Creation informs us of the Creator. And what did we see in week one when we talked about creation? When we talked about the oak tree, only one in 10,000 acorns becomes a tree. Our system would deem that wasteful and inefficient. But this is how the creation that was deemed good and blessed by God works. When we talked about the rivers as they bend and they wind as they transport water and they like go way out of the way and it's not a nice straight line, our system would deem that wasteful and inefficient. But this is how the creation that was created and deemed good and blessed by God works. It takes as long as it takes. What do we learn about the reproductive system? A lot of weird stuff. One in 300 million, right? One in 300 million sperm cells actually make it to the egg. Like, our system would, uh, would deem that wasteful and inefficient. The production rate of human life doesn't seem very productive. Yet this is how creation that was deemed good and blessed by God works. And so even though creation doesn't fit the system of success that we apply to ourselves based on our culture, we don't judge creation. We accept it because that's how God created it to work, which kind of makes you wonder if we're able to adopt and apply how it all works according to creation and the God who established it, like maybe we could at some point learn to apply that to ourselves as well. Maybe we could stop living according to the system of measurement from our culture and start, start applying the system of measurement, this thing that we see that's happening within creation. We might even be able to come to the place of removing the idea of failure like from our vocabulary. What do we see in creation? It's not failure. Like, things are flourishing. We see an abundance of attempts. What do we see in creation? It seems like waste according to our scale, but like maybe in God's view, it's just radical plenty because God is a generous God, a benevolent universe that he created. What about time constraints, right? With nature, like, it's, it's like way beyond like our understanding of time. It takes too long. We want things to be faster, but... Maybe what it's teaching us is that like things take as long as they take. If we could start to view our lives through the lens of creation, it might actually help us to reframe things like fear and failure. Like I'm not a very, I'm not, a, I'm not a failure. I'm very good at trying. <laughs> I didn't, I'm not a failure. I'm very good at trying. I'm an oak. I've made an abundance of attempts. I'm not a failure because I'm not where I thought I should be by now, according to the standards of the world at this point in my life. I'm a river. And I just needed a few more bins in the river to get me to the place that I needed to be. Or even when we talk about like going through like the various difficulties of life, wherever you're at, whatever you're facing, this isn't how it will always be. This isn't the end. It's just a season. It may feel like winter, but spring is around the corner. It's just a season. The book of Ecclesiastes talks about this. A season for all things. It's just a season. And here's what's so great about this. Not only do I think all these ideas to me have been super helpful to help do some reframing. On top of all that, we have the hope and promise that God will be with us and will provide for us all along the way. If we look back at that story of Moses striking the rock, the thing that, I, that there's this really incredible thing found within that story, okay? We talk about the idea of, of Moses' self-perceived failure the self-received failure that kind of end up le leading to his actual failure. The people are upset and they're grumbling against him, against God, because they're in the desert with no water, no provision. He feels like a failure. God says, go talk to the rock and I'll provide the water. Moses lets his anger because of everything get the better of him. 
He fails to follow God's instructions and he beats the rock with a stick. His perceived failure led to his actual failure. But what happened? Look at the next verse. Then Moses raised his arm, struck the rock twice with his staff, which is not what God told him to do, which is the failure. Water gushed out and the community and their livestock drank. Despite his self-perceived failure, which is what we've been talking about today, about how to reframe all that, and despite his actual failure to follow God's instructions, which is what we didn't talk about today, God still provided the water. God still provided the water. So as we talk about reframing failure, remember, how else would you know? (laughs) Remember, we tend to learn by doing. Remember, we choose the measuring system. Remember, creation points to an entirely different way to understand how it all works. And remember that just like Moses, in the middle of his failures, the God who loves us is the God who will still provide the water. We are in good hands. And if God can look at creation and how it all works and be pleased with it, then we would do well to live in the understanding that even in our abundance of attempts, even in our learning, God still delights in you. Well, amen and amen. Even in the midst of our abundance of attempts, uh, our learning many ways to not do certain things, God still delights in us. That is... um, That is a beautiful thing to remember and a beautiful thing to carry with us throughout the week uh, as we approach work and family life and um, working out and all the things that we that we do uh, that we sometimes feel like we are failing horribly at. Um, What a great reminder that God still delights in us and that um, what we see as failure is almost never the end. Uh, that we always have the opportunity to continue and to push forward and to try again. And uh, that is a gift. That is a grace. Uh, we hope that you've enjoyed this message. We hope that you've enjoyed this series. Uh, you can go back and, and check out uh, messages that you may have missed here in the podcast archive, or you can find it on our YouTube page. We're at youtube.com slash at thefoundryc. Uh, you can also go to thefoundryc.org slash watch and uh, look through, I think we looked it up through like a week or two ago. We have like 10 years worth of sermons uh, on the website that you can go check out. Um, but one way or the other, uh, we hope that you have a great week and we'll see you next time.